Hey, welcome to the podcast of C3 Los Angeles. I'm Jake Sweetman, and together with my wife, Nicole, we lead this church. We're glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're tuning in from, that you are encouraged and strengthened by this word. Here's today's message. We're so thrilled to be able to come together tonight for this special edition of One Night. I think the tagline that we went with was, the goal has changed, um, which is kind of ominous sounding and like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Um, and we're going to dive into all of that. And uh, so excited to share with you tonight, um, which is going to be awesome. This night, uh, believe it or not, is almost a year in the making, um, this particular one night and this particular uh, conversation. And so I'm excited to be able to unpack some stuff for us um, that God's been speaking to me about, um, and not just myself, but speaking to um, uh, the, the team that um, I directly interface with and, and lead um, in the church. And um, uh, every year, what I do is I take a few days to myself and I go on a personal retreat. And that personal retreat is kind of like my way of preparing for um, the time that is ahead, the, usually the year, the calendar year that is going to follow after that, and just receiving vision from the Lord uh, as to what He wants us to focus on as a church. And typically, when I go away on that retreat and I prepare for um, vision builders uh, and what we're going to give towards. Usually the question that I'm asking God is, God, can you show me a picture? Um, and I'll spend time just journaling and, and, and praying and writing down what uh, I feel like I hear God saying in regards to what we're supposed to be focusing on uh, as a church. Last year, I did my annual retreat in the midst of COVID, went to the Sequoia National Forest, which was sick. Uh, walked around through the redwoods and um, prayed to God that I wouldn't get attacked by a black bear. <clears throat> and uh, the question that I went into last year's retreat was a little bit different. My question was this, God, can you give me language? So normally I ask God for a picture, and last year it was, God, can you give me uh, language? And I was looking over my uh, journal from last year, actually, and um, the opening words to my first written prayer uh, was this, what do I want out of this time with the Lord? I want to be clearer on C3LA's mission, and I want to receive language for how to keep us aimed at being a disciple-making church. I want to receive language for how to keep us aimed at being a disciple-making church. Now, if uh, any of you have been in churches for any considerable amount of time of your life, um, then you're probably used to hearing language around vision and language around values, and uh, I think it's a really healthy and great thing for churches to have clear vision and clear values. For anybody that was a part of the C3LA before COVID-19, you would probably remember that every single Sunday in our services, we would say that we exist to help people know God, find meaningful relationship, get active in serving, and to grow in leadership. And that was our vision as a church. We would love to see those four things come to fruition and be an ongoing uh, process of development in uh, people's lives. And we haven't said that in some time. You probably didn't even notice, and I'm ashamed of every single one of you. <laughs> Just joking. Um, and then we had values as well, and I won't bother in going into, into those um, as awesome as they were and, and, and as clear as they were, um, just for the sake of time. But we, we had these, these clear statements of, of vision and values, and, and again, I affirm that and think that churches should have clarity uh, around those things. 
And just to be clear, the heart of that vision is not changing. Um, so as much as we're here tonight to talk about how the goal has changed, uh, in one really important sense, the goal is remaining exactly the same because the church only has one goal, which is the goal that Jesus Christ gave the church, which is to go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations and to teach them uh, to obey everything that he has commanded us. And so our, our goal is the same in the sense that it's the Great Commission that Jesus lays out in Matthew chapter 28. But I did find myself asking last year a lot um, whether the systems that we built in order to achieve those four steps of knowing God and finding meaningful relationship and getting active and serving and growing in leadership, whether those systems really amounted to the depth of discipleship that Jesus has commanded and the depth of discipleship that Jesus deserves. And I actually did reflect upon it quite a lot um, because I didn't want to make any changes to our language that were unnecessary. But as I reflected upon it, I felt that um, I felt that the way that we've expressed Jesus's vision for the church um, has been fruitful, and I think the evidence of that is all around us here in the South Bay and Highland Park. Those of you that are watching online, that in our church we have all of these people who are such faithful followers of Jesus and who want to continue to grow um, in their relationship with Jesus and continue to grow as disciples of Jesus. So I certainly wasn't down on what God had done through us. I think God had done a whole lot of good. But at the same time, I found myself going, I think we can do discipleship better. And I think that we can disciple people more deeply. And I wonder if the way that we express, express the vision of Jesus in those kind of four steps is the best way to like really get into the depths of helping one another to follow Jesus more completely. And so that's where year's retreat uh, came into play when I was asking uh, God for language about how we can maintain our aim at being a, uh, a disciple-making church more fully. And what I came away with from that trip were the seeds of something that I called core convictions, and the feeling that I had and the feeling that I still have um, is that these core convictions will help us to uh, stay more true and to be more effective in the mission of Jesus. What I wasn't looking for was a more pithy version of a vision statement. I wasn't looking for a pithier version of values, like something that's just a little easier to put on a plaque and hang on your wall, right? Like I wasn't looking for any of that. I wanted... I wanted language that could help us as a church to be challenged by uh, in order to live up to these convictions. And I think that when we take it upon ourselves to live out these convictions, I think discipleship is what follows from that. And this is how uh, the church in the earliest centuries after the resurrection did it. Uh, they had uh, creeds. So you have the Apostles' Creed and you have the Nicene Creed. And these creeds are... Uh, essentially clarified statements of what do we believe. And based upon what we believe, when we live out that belief, that is when the vision of Jesus for his church kind of just follows as a, a naturally, organically occurring thing. And my hope is that these core convictions uh, would serve a, a similar purpose. Because when our actions and when our attitudes flow from biblical belief... I think we'll succeed, um, and we're never going to get it perfect, but I think we will be more successful and more effective and more true 
in the mission of Jesus to both be disciples and to make disciples. So after that retreat, the next step um, that I went through was I spent about three to four months um, gathering with my direct team of about 20 people and um, just getting together with them once a month. And I would just set these core convictions before them as I kind of had them in seed form. And we would talk about them and we would pray about them and we would discuss them and we would refine them. And over the course of that three to four month period, um, we ended up refining them again and again until we were confident in the final statement. And these core convictions are comprised of eight uh, interconnected truth claims, uh, which I'm going to share with us in a little bit. Um, and that's kind of the, the main meat of what I want to share with us tonight is these core convictions. Um, but before I do that, I want us to know uh, three different things, just kind of three um, uh, things to take into consideration that, that I think are important. Number one, uh, these words are not a traditional vision statement. Uh, so like you might find it difficult to memorize them, right? Like, and um, that's okay. Is my microphone cutting in and out? Yeah, sick. Um, so uh, they're not a list of values or, or cultural distinctives necessarily, but in saying that, these core convictions do take the place of those things, a traditional vision statement or a traditional value statement. These core convictions are going to take the place of those uh, in the sense of the creed that we live by as uh, a church. That's the first thing I want you to know. The second thing that I want you to know that I think is important is that committing to living out these core convictions as our primary aim as a church, I think has a really cool benefit. It allows vision builders to kind of sit with distinction as the ongoing vision um, of our church. So for many of you are familiar with vision builders. Some of you are brand new to our church. So you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say something, uh, when I talk about vision builders. But vision builders is, is every single year we get together and we just set the vision for the next 12 months. This is what we feel like God has called us to go after. This is what we feel like God has called us to do as a church. Things like LA.Church, which is this kind of growing, uh, amazing apologetics effort that we're um, doing as a church. And university dinner parties and our par partnership with the persecuted church in the Middle East and all these different things that we invest invest in financially. Um, that, that's our vision. And the thing about vision is that vision evolves and vision changes with the change of times and seasons and, and with opportunities that arise and callings that we feel like we have. And I'm excited for vision to be able to just be what it is, which is that this is what we feel like God is calling us to do right now as a church. And that's going to evolve year over year. But these core convictions, these are always true. And we're always going to aspire to live according to these statements, according to these truth claims that I believe every single Christian um, is called to live by. The third thing that I want you to know um, is that you, you probably remember pre-COVID um, language like growth track. Anybody here remember growth track? Yeah, growth track. Or uh, like welcome to church parties or team trainings. And we had these brilliant, effective systems for helping people to learn about us as a church and to get involved um, in our church. But uh, those needed to be reconsidered as well. Because if we're, um, if we're wanting to go deeper in our focus on discipling people and making disciples, then I think the systems that introduce people to those things need to be reworked as well. And uh, so we went to work and we redesigned the process um, of what it looks like to call C3LA home. 
And some of you guys are new here tonight, and many of you in Highland Park would be new as well. What does it look like to call C3 LA home? Um, how do we take time when we're new to church to understand what our core convictions are? And uh, what does it really look like to serve um, here in this church? Because I think that every healthy member of a church um, eventually should come to the point where they want to um, serve. And so through that process came something called Feels Like Family. And you guys have heard us talk about this over the last few weeks, Feels Like Family. And Sarah is going to hobble over here in her crutches. Everybody clap for Sarah. She's amazing. And before I dive into um, the core convictions, Sarah and I are just going to chat really quick about, um, about Feels Like Family. Yeah. What's up? How are you? you I, don't, I don't know if you are on. Can there I help you? You got it? Yeah. Yeah. Groovy. There you All right, are. Cool. Um, yeah. I'm really stoked to be here with you guys online, Highland Park, and in here in South Bay to get to connect core convictions to Feels Like Family. Um, really, Feels Like Family is the way that we want to help people understand why we live the way we live make C3LA home and understand how they can become a part of hosting the city of Los Angeles in the presence of God. And kind of like Pastor Jake mentioned, you know, he had gone away and he had come back to a small group of us um, and shared the seeds of these core convictions. And I just remember month after month seeing them workshopped and the question just started to begin itching in me of like, do, is what we were doing before going to serve this? And the more that our core convictions became solidified and when you came to us with that final one, it was just so clear that they wouldn't. Um, and again, not because they were bad in any way, but like you said, there was room to get better. And that was the exciting thing. And so that kind of launched us into this place of me really having to ask myself, what would it look like to create a next step system that served these core convictions? Because they're so incredible. Like, I'm really excited for you guys to hear them tonight because I just remember the moment when we finally got them all nailed down and just how alive we all felt in them because they really are amazing. And so for me, it was like, how do we honor these? Like, how do we create a system around these things and not just create a system to tell people these, but actually create a system that allows people to personally engage and really allow themselves to work with that material and kind of get to experience their own personal revelations and time with God on these things. And so a team and myself went to work at creating this new system and it was incredible. We created Feels Like Family. And so to kind of tell you what that is before I get into the nitty gritty of it, um, Feels Like Family is a set of four classes. And the great thing is, you know, we're learning from COVID, right? We have online ones um, and we also have in-person and on Zoom discussion. So Feels Like Family is set into two different sections and it's broken up into Core Convictions 101, which is an online teaching from Pastor Jake that you guys will get to experience tonight. And then we come back for Core Convictions 201. And that's an in-person discussion so that people actually have a place to land after that teaching, after they've gotten to wrestle with that material, so they can ask their questions, so they can also hear stories from leaders and people just like you guys in our community who have seen those lived out and seen the power of what they can produce. Um, and in the second half of Feels Like Family, again, courses three and four move into hosting, which we're going to talk about a little bit later as well as what we're kind of seeing as serving now. Um, and so hosting, it starts with Hosting 101, which is an online teaching from our beloved Pastor Nicole Sweetman. And so she nails that. And then again, we're right back there for Hosting 201. And that's where we get to have an open dialogue with people where, again, they can wrestle with that material, ask questions, um, and get to know people in our community and eventually step in, like Pastor Jake mentioned, to serving. And so the, the reason I think so many of us are excited is, and why you, we did it was because the goal had changed, right? And our goal had gone, like you mentioned, welcome to church parties, team training, growth shack, all that. It was so great, but it really was, the goal was to um, connect people to a Sunday team right. and train them up and equip them, right? To have us all serving on Sundays, building the house of God, which is amazing. A bit transactional. 
Exactly. And a little bit fast as well. Mm -hmm. And so what we kind of realize is, oh, it's, it still matters, but it's not what matters most. Mm -hmm. And we realize when we talk about that goal changing is I think it just came down to us realizing like, oh, what matters most is actually equipping people to carry personal revelations about these core convictions so that they then naturally live them out in community, grow into mature believers of Jesus, who also help other people grow into that same thing. And so the reason that feels like family is different, I just wanna give you guys a really clear snapshot of why it's different. There are three things that I want us to take away from tonight and understand when we think about this. Um, the first is that okay, it's I'm Richard. I'm actually gonna hop off the stage and let you take over the whole okay, night. Sorry. This is excellent. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Um, it's richer, right? And that's because we have got our lead pastors at the helm bringing you such incredible teaching, right? Like Pastor Jake and Pastor Nicole leading two of these teachings, it gets rich. The second is that it's longer, right? Welcome to party, team training, all, two weeks, whatever, you're in, you're out, you're on team, cool. No, no, no. We slowed this down. We asked ourselves, what does it look like to give people space to experience our community yeah. and get so swept up that they're like, dang, I want to do this? And so we're not looking to create microwaved, ready-to-serve Christians out right. in two weeks, but we want to create robust disciples of Jesus, right? Um, we want them to have their questions answered and wrestled with. We want you guys to come on to team and enjoy it and get ready to build the house of God with less hindering us, right? And then the third thing is that... Um, Oh my goodness. Wow. Just blank. The second, <laughs> the it's second, the bro it's the broken leg. <laughs> it really is. It affects your ability to oh, think on the fly. So much, You're doing though. so well. <laughs> Sarah Wallach might be the best preacher in our church. <laughs> and that's a fact. Um, the third is that it's more personal. And this is actually the most exciting, one of the most exciting parts about it. We actually wrote a devotional that goes along with feels like family. So not only are people going beautiful. through, it is, yeah. our creative team, shout out, just did such an Crushed amazing it. job. Um, you guys did so wonderful. And, and this devotional, it's 14 days. And so it walks you through one day for our eight core convictions and one day for each of our six hosting tenants. And so the really, the heart behind that was we didn't want you guys to come out obeying something that you heard in a class or just living your life because someone told you to do it a certain way. We again want you to grapple with the, the word of God, to draw near to his heart and walk away with your own understanding right. of the these core convictions. And so that devotional is, you guys can download that. Um, we're going to give you information about that. Um, I'm actually just going to do it right now. If you go to c3losangeles.com, we'll post this again later on Instagram. So just keep an eye out slash FLFD. You'll be able to download that devotional. We'll be getting them printed soon, which is exciting. But um, again, it's richer, it's longer, and it's more personal. And so it just allows people to get to know C3LA and not make it feel like they're just being put through a pipeline or a system. Because that's our heart. Again, right? We want disciples who can run long distance. That's um, right. And so that's, that's it. That's so well said. Thank you so much. Come on, give it up for Sarah. Do you need help? Can I get these for you? Outstanding. Cool. All right. Let's dive into uh, these core convictions. Do you have a notepad or a phone or something you want to write these down? Um, I think that'd be good. There's eight of them. Um, and I'm so pumped to share. So uh, core conviction number one, Highland Park, you still with us? Get your notes out. Come on, let's write these down. Let's go over these together. I have 20 minutes. I'm probably going to take 30. Okay. <laughs> core conviction number one, Jesus is Lord. Say it with me. Jesus is Lord. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11 says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God 
the Father. So at the center of the church's existence is the Lordship of Jesus. The final stop on the gospel train is not the cross, it is not the grave, it is not even the resurrection, it is the throne. And you and I need to live with the conviction that Jesus is not just risen, he is also reigning. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and we are to live in light of the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, and that he is transforming hearts throughout the world. Now, on a personal level, the Lordship of Jesus is the compass for the Christian life. In all of our choices, in our serving, in our tithing, in our giving, in all of our labor and our leisure, the lordship of Jesus is our reality, and we live unto his glory. And what Jesus says about stuff and what Jesus thinks about stuff is of utmost importance to us. Honoring him is our primary concern. As a church, the Lordship of Jesus is absolutely central to our unity, that we gather under one name and that we live to please one person, and his name is Jesus. Now, I think that this core conviction could not be more important today because it means that we are collectively determining not to bend our knee and give allegiance to false gods false doctrines, to pursue false promises, no matter how much the social pressure would have us do so. Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. Jesus is Lord, society is not. And all faithful discipleship starts with that truth. Core conviction number one, Jesus is Lord. Core conviction number two, the Bible is his word. Second Timothy chapter three and verse 16 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What I see in that is that the Bible is all I need to know how to live a life that pleases God. At C3LA, we love the Bible, and we will never stop loving the Bible. And people can deconstruct the Bible all they want, but the Bible is the Word of God, and we live by that written Word. It is God's written Word to us, and it is God's written Word for us. And it tells us of God's nature, and it tells us God's story. The Bible tells us how all creation begins and finds its fulfillment in Him. And the scriptures are inerrant, and they are infallible, and they are inspired by the Holy Spirit, and therefore they are God's authoritative word for our lives. The scriptures are the only sure foundation for all Christian doctrine. They are a means of grace by which God communicates his love to us and his desires for us. They are our go-to for receiving wisdom and understanding as we navigate the culture that we live in. The scriptures are to be understood through the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And this means that we interpret the Old Testament through the lens of or in light of the New Testament, both of which are reliable and true. I don't know if you know this, but of the, Old, of the New Testament alone, we have uh, literally thousands of manuscripts, nearly 6,000 manuscripts of the New Testament. 
if you were to take the amount of manuscripts that we have of the New Testament and compare them to the amount of manuscripts that we have of any other classical author like Plato or Aristotle, and you were to stack their manuscripts up of all the copies that we have, the stack on average would be about four feet tall. If you were to take the manuscripts of the New Testament that we have, the stack would be a mile high. The New Testament is reliable and true. And the New Testament speaks to us of the life and the ministry of Jesus. And if Jesus himself affirmed the reliability and the truth of the Old Testament, then that's enough for me to go. The Bible is the reliable and true word of God given to us to live our lives by. Uh, If you want to learn more about that, by the way, you can go to la.church and watch the teaching, Is the Bible Reliable and True? But the Bible is a wonderful gift of God to us, and it it is his written word to us and for us. Core conviction number three. The Holy Spirit is his presence and power. The Holy Spirit is his presence and power. John 14, verses 16 through 18, Jesus says this, that I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Over the last year, more than ever before, um, what has become abundantly clear to me in the scriptures is that God's promise for mankind is not simply forgiveness for the sinner. God's promise for mankind is his presence with the saint. It is his Holy Spirit dwelling in his people and dwelling amongst his people. And through the gospel, you and I are all called and transformed into the saints of God, his own special people with whom he will dwell for all of eternity. And I want us to to know and understand that the Holy Spirit is God with us right now. He is God with us in this room, and he is God with you tomorrow when you wake up and you go about your day. The Holy Spirit is uh, a deeply important part of your life. When Jesus walked the earth 2,000 years ago, the Spirit of God was contained in one vessel in one part of the world. And when Jesus ascended on high and poured out his Holy Spirit on the church on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God went from being contained in one vessel to being contained in many vessels throughout the entire world. And that is why you and I should pray and expect to work the works of God as Jesus worked the works of God. The Holy Spirit is the presence and power of God with us right now. And he is to be depended upon by you and I for all ministry. And I would it reminds us that the Holy Spirit is eager to partner with you and he's eager to partner with me to bring the kingdom of heaven into the earth every single time we gather together and every day when we go out into the world. And I hope and pray that um, if this is your home, that you would take time to discover how has the Holy Spirit gifted you? And, you know, you can do that in a class and you can take a test and try to get to know yourself. But honestly, you're not going to figure it out until you just throw yourself into ministry and start ministering to people and spend time in prayer and spend time alone with God and spend time reading the scriptures so that God can highlight to you how he has wired you and crafted you and gifted you as a member of the body. Um, As part of this core conviction, and you guys would probably have picked up on this in recent months when we gather on Sundays, we have a a deep passion to see every single believer unleashed in their spiritual gifts. And I long for your gifts to manifest 
when we gather in neighborhood groups and when we gather together on Sundays for church and when we gather together in life courses. Basically, anytime we get together, it's not about the person on the platform and their gifting. It is about how the Holy Spirit has gifted every single one of us to minister to each other and to those that God is bringing into our church. The Holy Spirit is the presence and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are to live with deep reverence for his presence and his power at work in us. Core conviction number four, the church is his living expression. Jesus is Lord, the Bible is his word, the Holy Spirit is his presence and power, and the church is his living expression. Ephesians 5 and verse 29, the Apostle Paul says this, that no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. First Timothy three fourteen and 15. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So when we read the New Testament, particularly when we read the epistles of the apostles, um, there is something that stands out to us as an undeniable truth, and is that Jesus Christ loves his church. Is the church flawed, broken, messed up, makes mistakes? Absolutely. Jesus Christ loves his church. Um, And Jesus is one with his church as much as my head is one with my body right now. Jesus loves his church. The church is so personal to Jesus because it's part of Jesus. And at C3LA, we live with a reverent awareness that Jesus is building his church and that Jesus wants the best for the church. And that Jesus is using his church to usher more of God's kingdom into the world and to usher more of humanity into the kingdom. The church is one body made up of many members or parts. And those parts are you and I, every one of us, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you and I are what caused the church to be the living expression of Christ. The church is living and the church is expressive because the church is made up of people. The church is made up of God's people who are gifted with God's Holy Spirit. And you and I need to get a revelation of just how wonderful it is to be the expression of Christ in the earth and to value the church um, deeply for that reason. We should take seriously the privilege and the power of being able to gather. I mean, after 2020, like we ought to value gathering together as a church more than ever before, and to not let the, the fire of that to flame out like it maybe has in times past. We should take seriously uh, the call to discover and nurture and steward the gifts that God has given to each of us in order that the church of Jesus would shine with all the glory of God. And we should take seriously, as Paul says in First Timothy, our mandate to be the pillar and the ground of truth for society. That's a huge one. And we should take seriously our call to live compassionately, but without compromise. And by these things, we will be the light unto the world that we are called to be, the living expression of Jesus to a hurting humanity. Now, I would say that in years past, I've been a lead pastor now for um, five years, six years. It was six years in January, but 2020 doesn't count. (laughs) It was just a big blur of a year. But I've been, uh, I've been lead pastor for six years now, and I would say that um, I've always been passionate about the church. I love the church. But I think that my passion for the church 
um, and my passion for the church to thrive and grow in the past has led me to focus too much on numerical growth. And I personally, honestly, over the last year, repented of that. And I want to move on from that way of thinking about how to lead and shepherd a church. And uh, that's been, a, a, honestly, a, a deeply beneficial thing, not just for myself, but for the team of leaders and pastors that I work closely with. And we all feel like we're in a much better place in regards to how we think about and pursue the thriving nature of this church. And don't get me wrong, I think healthy things grow. But I can honestly say for the first time in my career as leading a church um, that I am much more consumed with the health than I am with the growth. And so that is my repentance. My encouragement to some of us maybe would be a different repentance, that maybe we have treated the church without distinction and without reverence. And um, I think sometimes... Pastors get unhealthy in the way they want a church to grow because flocks are unhealthy in how they think of the church and how they approach the church and maybe treat it a little bit too casually. And I would just ask every single one of us, because the church is the living expression of Jesus Christ, who is Lord, and the church is his plan, to treat the church with such reverence and to value what it is that we get to be, who we get to be, and what we get to do. Core conviction number five. Uh, people are our mission. Luke 19.10, Jesus says this, the Son of Man, speaking of himself, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Um, there's kind of a sentiment in uh, amongst Christians sometimes that we ought to move on from this you know, focus on um, the evangelistic message and preaching the simple gospel and, and the pure gospel. And believe me when I say that, I, I'm a studier and I'm a learner and I love to dive deeply into the scriptures and I can spend my whole day, I can spend my whole week never talking to you and just only reading, honestly. I love talking to you, but I love to read. I just love it. That's just how I'm wired. Um, but there's a scripture in, in Timothy where Paul, towards the end of his life, makes this statement to Timothy, and he says this, that there's a, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And I think about that, and I think that if the Apostle Paul, who was brilliant and smarter than every other Christian put together, um, got to the end of his life and said, this is a faithful and true saying, that Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. Then we ought never to lose sight of the fact that Jesus did indeed truly come to seek and save that which was lost, and that people have to remain the mission of the church. They just simply must be our mission. Our focus can never turn inward. And, and again, don't misunderstand me. Discipleship is all about the development of the people who are in the room. Absolutely. But we can never, never sacrifice the fact that as the church, we are called to be reaching out to the world and teaching the truth of Jesus to the world and calling them into the kingdom of God and calling them to repentance. If this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, then we have to ask ourselves, what is more important than what Christ came to do? And if he came to save, then that means that we are sent to proclaim and to demonstrate his salvation. The word save um, in the Greek, uh, 
is a very holistic word. It's uh, redemption, it's restoration, it's healing, it's reestablishing people back as image bearers of God and back into the purpose that God has for them. And um, it's a full circle salvation summarized by another New Testament word, which is disciple. To become a disciple is to live as somebody who has been saved by God. A disciple is a student of Jesus, and making disciples is the entire mission. And so that means that people are our mission because disciples are people. And we are on a mission to lead people to Jesus and to help one another grow into greater Christ-likeness. And it's to this end that we serve, and it's to this end that we give, and it's to this end that we sacrifice, and it's to this end that we study, and it's to this end that we preach and we teach and we gather, because it's to this end that Jesus Christ laid down his life. He did not die for nothing. He died for a purpose, people, and it's so that people can be redeemed from death into life. And uh, I think the Apostle Paul said it best in 2 Corinthians, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. What a verse. Core conviction number six. You still with me? Discipleship is our path. People are our mission. Discipleship is our path. Matthew 7, 24, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. So the word disciple in the New Testament is first and foremost describing a person, not a process. Um, and that's an important distinction. But that doesn't mean that discipleship is not a, a process. It is. It is the process of taking students of Jesus and helping them to become more like Jesus. The 12 disciples spent three years following Jesus closely around, around Galilee and Judea. And during that process, they learned and they grew and Jesus challenged them and he encouraged them and he corrected them and he rebuked them. And through all of that, he discipled them. And that was his strategy. Three years talking to guys um, and correcting them and teaching them. That was his strategy for three years later. Okay, cool. Go change the world. If the strategy was good for him, it's good for me. And we don't need to reinvent any wheels. It's just we just need to get on the path of discipleship. And the path of discipleship is interfacing with one another and doing life with one another and holding one another accountable to the truth of the word of God and holding one another accountable to the life of living under the lordship of Jesus, essentially living these core convictions, is holding one another accountable to these things and helping each other grow as disciples of Jesus and taking advantage of every single resource that is made available to us. I'm so proud of uh, every single person who signed up for a life course. Our first time ever doing life courses. I think we had close to 70 people sign up for a life course that are doing that every single Monday and they're learning and they're growing. Um, amazing stories coming out of those courses all across the board. And that's just, that's got to be part of it. We have to, we have to force ourselves to come out of this like kind of COVID mentality of like, oh, church is just something I watch online, right? No, church is not something that we watch online. Church is who we are. And the church is comprised of students of Jesus, learners, um, apprentices of Jesus who are committed to growing into greater Christ-likeness. Jesus said this in Luke 6.40, that a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. That's the goal. 
that's going to take me my whole life. And that's going to take you your whole life to be perfectly trained to become like Jesus. And of course, that happens in the context of community. And there's no five steps that I can give you. There's, there's no version of feels like family or growth track that we can design that you can go through in a month and come out and be like, yeah, I got the discipleship thing on lot. It's not going to happen. So like if six months after I've stood up here and said, guys, we want to get better at discipleship and you're still feeling like I'm not really growing as a disciple, then I would just encourage you to look in the mirror and ask yourself the question, what responsibility have I taken upon myself to grow as a disciple? Because I'm trying to set the table and we're trying to set the table and make it available for every single one of us to step in and to grow and to be perfectly trained so that we can be like our teacher. Quick conviction number seven. This is a really important one. It's not a throwaway. Please make sure you take this to heart. This is so important. There is joy in the journey. There is joy in the journey. 1 John 1.4 says, And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. These things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, Ask that your joy may be full. You need to know this. This is so important that your God is a joyful God. God is a joyful God. He's Father and He's Son and He's Holy Spirit and He's never known any lack. He's three in one and within Himself is the full expression of perfect joy. God doesn't just have uh, uh, the fullness of joy. God, God has overflowing joy. And out of God's overflowing joy, you and I can drink from the well and be joyful people ourselves. This is hugely important. Why? Because the Bible makes absolutely no effort whatsoever to cover up the fact that as a follower of Jesus, you're going to have a tough go. Maybe in some seasons it'll be every now and then. Maybe in other, se- other seasons it'll be constantly you're having a tough go. And there will be trials and there will be tribulations and there will be difficulty. And my prediction is that in the West, in this modern day, it is going to get more expensive to follow Jesus. It's not going to get easier. And you need to know that even in this leg of the journey, in our tiny little sliver of human history, in this moment, there is still joy in the journey. And if Peter could find the joy, and if Paul could find the joy, and if all of the disciples could find the joy, and if they could be encouraged constantly to find the joy in what they had to walk through, then you and I absolutely can live by the conviction that there is joy in our journey as well. This is huge for us because joy is such an important factor of, of what just keeps us going and what helps us to, just to keep pursuing a life lived under the lordship of Jesus. And I never want us to lose sight of that fact. Core conviction number eight, and I'm all done. One generation will tell the next. One generation will tell the next. Psalm 145 and verse 4 says, one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. This was the last one that I felt like I um, heard from God about um, uh, for these core convictions. And one of the things that I reflect upon is that I can't think of even one instance in the scriptures where God did an important work in one generation. So God does not refer to himself as simply the God of Abraham, but he is the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And God is a generational God and God gets things done 
across multiple generations of people. And even today, God is working through the generations. Think about this, that our faith was conceived in eternity. It was birthed in antiquity. And over the course of two millennium, of one generation passing the baton onto the next, the faith has grown and it has spread and God is doing his work of establishing the kingdom through the church. And this is why generations absolutely have to be at the heart of C3LA. This is not just a good idea. This is a God idea. God cares about generations. When God delivered the Israelites from Egypt and he brought them on to, uh, into their promised land and formed them as a new nation, he told them in Deuteronomy 6, he said, these words which I command you today shall be in your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. So God commands the Israelites, do not let what I give you stop with you. Now notice that God's promise to the Israelites was not what I've taught you, I'm going to personally teach your kids. God has given us a responsibility to be a people who raise up the next generation. And we just simply cannot assume that those who are coming up after us are going to get it like we get it. And we have to value our children. We have to value the next generation and pour into them what was poured into us. The importance of generations in the kingdom is why we place such an emphasis on C3LA kids and now C3LA youth and university dinner parties and um, generations are hugely important. I think probably the, uh, the biggest line item on our Vision Builders budget this year is kids' ministry. And that's what we're investing the most amount of money to and revamping our spaces and providing the best possible experience for our children. And in, in my opinion, there's not enough money that you can invest into the kids. And I want to give them an experience. I don't know how it was for you, but I grew up loving church. And I loved it because it was an amazing experience for me as a kid. And I was a pastor's kid and never, never left. Never, never rebelled, never walked away from the church. I loved it because the people who were leading the church that I grew up in, my parents valued the children's experience and you and I simply must do the same. We have to train and equip the future generations of Jesus followers in LA to live all of these core convictions and to honor God with their whole lives. Amen? Amen. Jesus is Lord. The Bible is his word. The Holy Spirit is his presence and power. The church is his living expression. People are our mission. Discipleship is our path. There is joy in the journey and one generation will tell the next. This is our creed. These are our core convictions. These are the ideals by which we want to live. And I think that when we commit to living these beliefs, then discipleship will follow as an organic uh, result. Um, I guess I would summarize it like this. This is the point. We want to make mature disciples and we want to make many disciples. That's why we're here. We want to make mature disciples and we want to make many disciples. Amen. Cool. Hey, uh, we're going to tune uh, to the screen for a moment and um, watch just, I think it's about a uh, nine or 10 minute video from my beautiful wife. And she's going to talk to us about um, what does this look like in the context of, of servanthood? What does this look like in the context of, of hosting uh, here at C3LA? So Highland Park, South Bay, people watching online, stick with us and have fun watching my amazing wife. Hey, Pastor Nick here, and I'm going to give you a little glimpse of what it looks like to be on team here at C3LA. 
See, here at C3, we don't believe being on team just means that you're a volunteer that shows up trying to get things done or make church happen, but you actually get to be a host of the house of God. Think about when you invite someone over to your home for a dinner party or some sort of a gathering. You get to take them in and host them. You get to take ownership of the whole evening or the day, and you get to take pride and you get to take joy in the experience that you offer. And so that's what you get to do as a team member. You get to co-host with Pastor Jake and myself and the rest of the team every Sunday that you show up. And so I want to tell you about the six tenants that we carry as a host here at C3LA. The first tenant is that we love to welcome Welcoming isn't just opening a door and letting someone walk in. No, welcoming is a spirit that you carry. Welcoming is from the very beginning that someone walks in to the very last moment that they walk out. Welcoming means that we get to have eyes to see people. You always have eyes on the person, on the people that are around you and what they need. You have um, an interruptible ability to allow people to come into your space and shift gears if you need to because your mission is the person. And you also are aware of the atmosphere that you're creating, that your presence adds to the atmosphere. It adds to what we're creating every Sunday for people to encounter God. So we're aware as a host that maybe we need to set some things aside and we come in ready as a host to prepare an atmosphere for those who are about to come in and have their lives transformed. And so the second tenant is that we love to take good care of the house. Have you ever showed up to someone's home and it was a little unkept or a little dirty? I mean, these are things that sit with you and you take notice of. So as a host, we take pride in creating an atmosphere of excellence for people to come in, let their guard down, and again, experience the powerful presence of God. And so how do we do that? We bring our best as a host. We put intention behind every detail that we're putting our hand to. And we understand that we are building something sacred. The house isn't something that we just see as another point on our calendar, but the house of God is something that's holy. It's something we carry a reverence towards. And that's what motivates us to bring our best, to create a space that reflects the care that we pour into it. The next tenant that we carry as a host is that we are faithful to each other. You know, that's the greatest benefit is when you're not just hosting alone, but you get to host with some of your best friends. And that's what happens when you join team here at C3LA. You immediately get connected into the greater body of Christ. And so you understand that your presence has an impact on the brother and sister next to you that you're building alongside. And so we understand that my success is my team member's success, that I'm not isolated in what I put my hands to, but it has a greater impact. So what does that mean? It means we show up on time. We show up prayed up so that we're serving from a place of overflow, never from a deficit. And we understand that we have this opportunity to build each other up in Christ. And so we come in and we're faithful, which means our next tenant is that we carry a yes. So we understand that our yes goes beyond maybe uh, an inconvenience that comes up in life. When life or trials hit or things become a little messy or hairy, we don't allow that as an opportunity to step back, but we press in. And we know that God meets us in that space, that it's on his ability. And so we press in and we allow him to grow us in those moments. When we carry a yes as a host, we have an all-in mentality. 
We don't allow ourselves to be too uptight on how things are done, but we remain flexible because we know that we're serving a greater vision beyond our own personal vision. And so we understand that we are willing to be flexible and willing to just jump in and be and, and serve and have a yes in our spirit. As a host, our fifth tenet is that we're generous in all things. Okay, let's talk about all things. That's our time, our talent, and our treasure. So let's talk about time. We're generous in our time. We are willing to sow in, to go above and beyond in how we spend our time and and showing up early, right? We sacrifice that snooze on our alarm clock because we know that someone's transformation is on the other side of our generosity of our time. Our, 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 our talent. You know, God has placed amazing spiritual gifts within you, but he's also uniquely carved you out and created you. Maybe you're a musician, or maybe you have a sense of, of faith on the inside of you, or maybe you have an eye for certain details. God wants to use that to build his house. And what does that mean? Again, it comes back to the person. You're going to build someone up. You're going to change someone's life because of the talent God has given you. And when you generously sow that, whether it's through, again, maybe social media or behind a camera, You know, that is an ability to create a space for lives to get to know Jesus. And so we're generous with our talent. And of course, we're generous with our treasure. Here at C3LA, we really do believe that the life of the generous gets bigger and bigger. And so when you choose to set yourself apart and put God first in the world of finances, we know from that space, growth and fruit will follow. And so we are generous in our tithe as well. As a host here at C3LA, our final tenant is that we choose joy. Hey, you probably didn't have to be around here for too long to realize that we take pride and joy in being part of the house of God. We know that when you sow joy, you get to reap a harvest of joy. And you know what? We actually love to have fun in the house of God. We, it's a holy and sacred place, but it's a place filled with praise. It's a, it's a place filled with laughter. It's a place filled with with tears of joy even. And so I just want to encourage you that when you show up as a host, choose joy, put joy on, because it's going to reflect the light of Jesus inside of you into others. And they're going to be drawn closer to you in those moments and drawn closer to God's heart in the house. Hey, we love you. We're so excited about the opportunity that is before you to become a host, to come and build the house of God with us. And we know that you are going to find joy and you're going to find purpose as you put God's house first. God bless. Pastor Nicole was such a great example of what it means to be a host. If you want to get the most out of Pastor Nicole's teaching, check out the hosting section of the Feels Like Family devotional. At C3LA, we love the Word of God, and we know it will leave you refreshed and encouraged. Now that you've finished up Hosting 101, you're ready for the fourth and final course, Hosting 201. In this course, you'll be able to unpack what you've learned, hear from leaders, and learn why you're the distinct tenets of what it looks like to host is it's taking the core convictions and kind of making it like real pragmatic for us and grounding it in our behavior of what it looks like to serve. Um, and I think that's a very important thing. And for all of us as people who are involved here at C3LA to, to uh, embody that. And so every time somebody takes a step to basically um, explore what it looks like to serve here at C3LA, that's the video that they get and they learn that. And, yeah. But it's uh, important that we also embody it so that what they learn about is what they experience when they turn up. 
A hundred percent, a hundred percent. One of the things that sticks out to me, and I, I wrote this down, is uh, what Pastor Nicole said. I don't know why I'm laughing. I think it's just I, I'm choosing joy. <laughs> uh, Pastor Nicole said, we don't volunteer or host to get a service done on Sundays. As hosts, we prepare a table so people all across Los Angeles or Los Angeles can come encounter the presence of God. And that, that sticks out to me, especially that imagery that we're setting a table for people right. to come and be nourished within their bodies, to come and feel loved, to come and feel welcome, and that this is a home. <laughs> and people are, are wondering and they're searching for a home. And exactly like what you said uh, uh, earlier on, um, we want to see people not just have a transaction here. We, we want to see lives transformed. And so in, in these tenants, what there is is that understanding of uh, where, how we act as a church, how we act as a host. And uh, one scripture that's coming to me actually is in Psalms, it, it says the stars uh, and the trees and the mountains, they worship God. They give worship to him. And it's kind of a funny thing because you go, well, how do they worship him? Like, why are they worshiping him? And it's because they're carrying out the intention that God created them for. Wow. And we are called as believers to serve Christ. So good. To serve his house and to love others. Jesus said, love God with all your body, soul, and mind and love your neighbor. There's no better way to love your neighbor than to make his house beautiful. And when they come in, they get to experience not only the presence of God, but the love of God through each of us. So good. So, Yeah, I love that. And I think maybe one way just to kind of wrap it up is this whole idea of hosting was really birthed out of um, actually a lot of what we've been talking about in this friendship series is that most commonly Christians are referred to as family. And we are referred to as brothers and, and sisters. And, you know, if you imagine that you live in a city with... Uh, uh, a lot of members of your extended family, and you take turns every single month hosting each other for family dinner, we're going to host one another well. Right. Um, and so the way that we wanted people to understand what it looks like to serve here was we're essentially just taking turns hosting each other. Right. And when we show up on Sunday morning to, to play our part, we're preparing the space so that those who are coming in can be blessed by that experience. And those who are new to the family and those who are showing up not even knowing that they're about to join the family of God can be hosted really well and experience the love of God through every single one of us. So I love the language. I love the heart of it. And I think it, the change of it helps us understand that we're not volunteering. Um, we're creating a space for people to come in and to receive Jesus and to be ministered to. So, amen. Yeah, amen. Love it. Church, we love you so, so much. Thank you for joining us for this special edition of One Night. Hopefully you wrote those core convictions down, but if you didn't, there's good news. I believe tomorrow uh, there's going to be an email that goes out to every single one of us recapping the core convictions, recapping the hosting tenets, um, and all of that will be made available to you. And I want to encourage you guys as well. I think on Sunday, will we have the, um, uh, the uh, devotional there at church, Sarah, for people to check out? It's coming soon. Yeah. Oh, it's digital. Great. We'll get you all the information. It's beautiful. Can't wait for you guys to see it. We love you. Have an amazing night. Goodbye, Highland Park. South Bay, let's say bye-bye to Highland Park. Everybody watch online. We love bye -bye. you guys. You've been listening to the C3 Los Angeles podcast. 
If you found today's message helpful, we encourage you to share it with a friend and consider rating it. If you'd like more information about our church or details on how to get connected to a neighborhood group, head to c3losangeles.com. We love you. Thanks for tuning in with us.